Well, as mentioned today, we're going to be touching a little bit on the subject of fear. And my guess is, is that you can probably relate to that video a little bit. In fact, as you're watching that, you're like, hey, that's my fear. Like, they, they stole my fear. Now, uh, we all have fears. Now, there are like this very, very select group of people that can actually find themselves relating to that video right at the beginning of the service. Now, some of you don't actually know that. We do things right at 1030. I mean, you show up here every week at like 1040, 1045. And I, I'm not like, this isn't me being passive aggressive, but we, you know, we, we start earlier. Now, you guys show up everywhere late, so I know you're not singling out Grumlaw, but even right now, you're kind of looking around like, no, I, I'm not late. And then the person next to you is like, yeah, you are always right. You, you are like late Jerry. You are late Cindy. You are late everywhere that you go. But anyway, that's kind of beside the point. You guys don't think that's funny. Anyway, um, okay, we're talking on this whole <laughs> subject of fear and these fears that we have. And again, some of you can find yourself actually relating that video that, that first played. Um, and, and I remember watching that video for the first time, and I could kind of hear it, you know, in your voices as well, and some of the reactions, and like watching that going like, I don't understand how somebody even gets to a place mentally where they would even consider trying something like that. Like, where do you get to a point where like, yeah, I'll, I'll do like this triple backflip over a helicopter, might die, but no problem, yeah, we'll give this a quick shot. Now those people, I watch those videos, or maybe you've seen like those GoPro videos where people are like going over waterfalls, uh, or they're doing like a backflip on a, on a mountain bike over a canyon, and like the slightest miscalculation could lead to this like very bloody, grisly death, but they seemingly have no fears. It's like they are actually completely fearless. Uh, I remember back when I was in elementary school, I think I was like in the fourth grade. I should call my dad and ask exactly, but this is like a true story. Uh, I got home from soccer practice. My dad was driving me home from soccer practice, and I, I jumped out of the car, and of course, being a typical elementary school kid, I had my shin guards and my cleats still on, which is hilarious, right? You'll be in like Outback Steakhouse on a Friday night, and the kid's wearing his soccer cleats. It's like, what are you doing? All right, anyway, so I got all my gear on, jump out of the car and I look across the street and there's this girl that I kind of have a crush on named Taylor and, and she's out in the front yard playing with her friend and I'm looking down and I'm like, I look good right now. And I bet that if I go spark up a conversation with Taylor, she'll ask me about my soccer skills and I have like good skills and maybe I'll be able to impress her a little bit. And so I jump out of the car, I look at dad, I'm like, hey dad, I'm gonna go talk to Taylor. And he's like, go do your thing, son. And so I walk across the street and as I get a little bit closer to Taylor and her friend, I realize that they're staring at something in the ground, but I, I don't know what it is. Uh, and they're keeping like a healthy distance. You can tell like there's like some element of fear going on. And as I get closer, I recognize that the thing that they're looking at is one of those underground beehives. You've seen these before, right? There's obviously beehives that are in a tree, but then there's the ones that are just holes in the ground and bees are just pouring in and out of it. And I get this brilliant fourth grade boy decision that goes into my mind. I think, you know what? I bet that I would really, really impress Taylor and her friend right now if I showed them that I had no fear of bees. And so slowly but surely, I start making my way closer and closer to the hive until like I'm eventually right next to it. Like this is the hive, I'm standing here, but I've moved so slow that I'm not getting stung. And I'm kind of looking back at Taylor to make sure that she's paying attention to what's going on. And she's looking and impressed maybe wasn't the word, but she was looking at something, all right? And so I'm looking at this hive and she wasn't quite impressed enough. And so I, again, another brilliant idea enters my head. I all of a sudden, without really thinking at all, just go, and I stick my foot into the hole. Now, almost immediately, I realized that was a bad idea, and it wasn't as if my foot had created this vacuum-tight seal, right? I mean, I had cleats on, so the bees are still finding their way out, and not to mention, it's not like all the bees are in the hive, right? There's plenty of bees that are flying around, coming back to find some knucklehead kid with his foot stuck into their house, uh, and they're not too pleased about that, and so surely, right, I'm starting to get stung. Now, 
I'm worried that I've created this backlog of bees in the hive. And again, this is all happening very quick. I'm telling you the, the elongated version here. Um, I have my foot in there. And I'm, I'm worried that, like, okay, there's a lot of bees, so I can't pull my foot out because that's going to be even worse. They're all going to come out and just ready to, like, pounce on me. So I start trying to untie my cleat. And I have this idea that if I can untie it and slip my shoe off, then I'll maybe get stung a couple less times. But as I go down to start untying my shoe, my hands start getting stung. And so in a last-ditch effort, I finally rip my foot out of the hall and go sprinting home, crying. I got stung over 30 times that day. And needless to say, Taylor was really impressed. Not so much. Kind of had the opposite effect. Now, I could try to argue with all of you that I was fearless, right? But most of you probably wouldn't buy into that. Most of you would probably just say, well, you are just plain dumb. Or maybe, at best, irrationally confident because there was a girl around that I really, really liked. But the truth is, is that sometimes it's hard to distinguish between fearlessness and stupidity or somebody that's truly fearless uh, and someone that's just being irrational or blinded to reality. Hold on to that thought here, and we'll come back to it in just a second. Now, if you haven't been here the past couple weeks, and my guess is that a lot of you were not here last week because we were blessed with an ice storm in the middle of April. What the heck happened over the last week? I mean, you go outside today, you're like, are we in like the same like planet? Like, what the heck happened? So anyway, uh, if you haven't been here, we're in this series right now called Follow. And the premise for this series is, series is really, really simple. A couple thousand years ago, Jesus is walking around the earth, and he extends this invitation to people all the time. And again, don't take my word for it. You can read this for yourself. He was constantly going up to people, just, hey, begin to follow me. Just start following me. And the crazy thing is he extends that invitation to every single one of us today, everyone that's sitting in this room today. Hey, just, just begin to follow me. And as we began to kind of tease this whole idea out of follow, we've made some, start, like, some pretty startling discoveries. Uh, number one, we figured out that being a sinner is actually a prerequisite, that every single occasion that we have where Jesus extends this invitation to begin following him, he's extending it to people who were sinners and who were well aware that they were sinners, people who knew that they were not perfect at life, that actually being that sinner is a prerequisite. Another Another thing that we figured out is that being an unbeliever is a prerequisite, which to which you, and I, I could completely get this, you might think, well, that's ridiculous. How can I follow someone if I'm not even sure that Jesus existed, if I'm not even sure that I totally agree with everything that's written in the Bible? But as we see, most of the people had doubts and they had questions, and Jesus would just say, hey, begin to follow me. In fact, it's really that that separates Christianity from every other religion on the planet, because religion says, hey, change, and you can join us. Change and you can join us. Stop doing this, start doing that, start following our rules and then you can join us. But Jesus comes along and he flips this entire thing upside down and he says, join us and you will change. Because it's about relationship and in any healthy relationship, we start to change because we care about that person. We love that person. And so the belief will typically come a little bit further down the road and it's no different today. It's okay to bring your doubt. It's okay if you don't have all of your questions answered yet. Bring your unbelief, bring your doubt, bring your sin, and just begin to follow Jesus. Now, if you did miss those first two weeks, I'm going to encourage you, and I've been challenging everybody throughout the series, uh, to go to grumlaw.com and click on recent messages and listen to any of those messages that you may have missed. And that's not because we're trying to get more traffic to our website or anything. And I'm not going to try to make some bold claim that if you do this, if you stick with us for this entire series, that your life is going to be completely transformed. But I am confident of this. That if you stick with us throughout this entire series, and if you're not here, you're listening online, God will begin to do things in your life in such a way, as maybe crazy as that sounds to you, that you'll want to come back. That you'll be curious about who this Jesus guy is and why we think he is so important to every single one of our lives. So again, I'm begging you, continue to come back throughout the series. If you were not here for those first couple weeks or if you're going to miss a week, make sure you're going online and listening there. And so today, we move on to part three 
uh, of this series. And we're going to try to answer a question today that my guess is, if you have been here the first couple weeks, you've already been thinking about this question. And if this is your first time here, you're just kind of starting to explore this thing, I guarantee you, is if you stick with us, it was only a matter of a time before you would have started asking this question. And that's this. What's the payoff? I mean, where is this all leading? What, what, what's the reward for actually following Jesus? You accept this invitation to, to follow him. What are you actually getting? You're, you're 90 years old. You're laying on your deathbed. Oh, that's what 90-year-olds laying on their deathbed sound like. Oh, you're sitting there. You're going, I am so glad that I followed Jesus because. I mean, what's the because there? Where's it all leaving? What's the payoff? What is the ultimate goal? Even if you follow Jesus perfectly, what is the reward? Now, the truth is, is that people begin following Jesus for a lot of different reasons. I worked in camp ministry for a number of years as a program director at a summer camp. It was an awesome, really fun job. And a big reason that I saw people begin to follow Jesus, particularly young people, uh, was heaven. Or in a lot of cases, they were just trying to avoid hell. Because some really sweaty, intimidating human being would get in front of them and they'd start yelling at them and be like, you got to accept Jesus. You got to bring Jesus into your life. And then they'd mention hell and how terrible that was. And they'd mention heaven and how great that was going to be. And sooner than you know it, you have like 400 kids walking to the front of a massive auditorium because they're like, shoot, I do not want to go to hell. I would much rather go to heaven. That sounds way, way better. But the interesting thing is, is that Jesus really never makes any mention of this. Now, I want to be really clear on this. I absolutely believe that, that if you follow Jesus, and it's by belief and belief alone, trust in Jesus alone, that you will end up in heaven. I'm just telling you that Jesus never talks about it. He never says, hey, follow me and I will get you into heaven, like he's handing out like tickets to a carnival ride. I don't think Jesus wants us to just begin following him simply because it sounds like the right thing to do. I don't think he wants to start following him because we might get into heaven or we might avoid hell. There's a little bit more to it than that. Another big reason that I see people uh, begin to follow Jesus is because they think that by following Jesus, it will immediately cause them to become a better person. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus followers, uh, following Jesus, living out his commands, and you read his teachings, and you implement these things in your own life, typically that will result in you being a better person. Some of the most solid people that I know happen to be Jesus followers. They forgive, they're kind, they're patient, they're loving. But every single one of us, don't turn your head and point to this person right now, right? If they're sitting next to you, we all know Jesus followers that were like, we don't want to be anything like that person. They're judgmental. They're, they're, they're people, if that's what it means to be a Jesus follower, I am not interested in that at all. And nowhere in scripture, again, do we see where Jesus says, hey, start following me. And by following me, you will immediately become a better person. He also never promises that by following him, your life will suddenly become pain-free, problem-free, worry-free, stress-free, as I like to call it, totally free living, where we kind of picture Jesus as like this hippie, and he's like, come on, just start following me, and all your pain will go away, and all your problems, they'll just start to go away. You won't have any more worry and no more stress, and then he swoops back his dreads, and he keeps talking to you. Now, I know that that sounds ridiculous, but some of us, we've actually began to associate Jesus with that. That by following Jesus, all of the pain and all the problems, they'll somehow go away. In fact, and this is a bit of a rabbit trail, and we'll come back, but if anybody, if you've ever been a part of a Christian church or any religious system for that matter, and they try to make those promises to you, they say, hey, do these three things and it's going to end up here. Follow these rules and I guarantee you this. Put this thing in your pocket and it's going to guarantee you this. Bury this thing in your front yard and this will happen. Work your way around this necklace and, and pray a specific thing for each one of these things. And it's going to result in this. That's not Christianity. That's magic. 
And here's the thing about magic. All magic works some of the time. It's always going to work eventually. Eventually, you're going to get lucky, and it's actually going to work. And the times that it doesn't work, keep in mind, it's never because you wasted your $9.99 on some weird thing that you buried and put in your pocket or something like that. It's not because it's a hoax. It's because you didn't believe, right? That's the thing about magic. If you don't believe, it doesn't actually work. All magic eventually works some of the time. Now, unfortunately for some of us, We've grown up in environments, and again, maybe you never think, thought about it in these terms. We've grown up in these environments where magic thinking, do these three things and you'll get this, gets mixed in with Jesus thinking. And before you know it, you're doing some pretty strange things in an effort to somehow win God's favor and somehow in an effort to get God to bless you. But Jesus did not come to be your magician. Totally free, pain-free, worry-free, stress-free living was never a part of his shtick. Uh, back after my freshman year of college, I, I took a job. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do over the summer, right? It's like in your college, you just got to figure out what job, you know, can sustain you for that entire next year with that pay. Uh, and I made the wise decision to go work at a summer camp, which pays you basically nothing. Uh, I, I took a job working at a count, as a counselor at a camp that a lot of you are probably familiar with called Spring Hill. Quick side note here. Um, there is no great, and they're not paying me to say this, by the way. There is no greater investment that you as a parent could make in your child's life than to send them to summer camp, specifically Spring Hill. I mean that. I mean, it, it, some of the most incredible things will happen at summer camp. So if you have kids, don't buy them a new PlayStation. Just send them to camp. I bet you it'll be much more worth your time. Anyway. I take this job working at this camp. Now, my preference is to work with older kids. I, I preferred to work with, like, high school, older middle school kids. It was nearing the end of the summer, um, and, and so that's what I had done the entire summer. I worked as a counselor with high school kids, um, and it was the end of the summer, and, like, there weren't, the, the numbers weren't as high in high school, but the numbers on the other side of camp at the area called Storybrook, which was, like, first, second, and third graders, uh, they had a lot of kids, and they needed more counselors over there. And so my boss comes to me along with, all the other counselors that worked in that area. And he said, hey, we need some of you to volunteer to work with the little kids. And as you might expect, like nobody's putting their hand up because they're like, yeah, I don't want to work with first, second, and third graders. That sounds awful. Now, it's kind of that awkward silence. There's like anyone, anyone, kind of like somebody getting picked to be being boozled, you know? Everybody's just standing there. Nobody's putting their hands up. And then I was finally like, oh my gosh, this is painful. And so I put my hand up. I shoot it up. I'm like, all right, how bad could it possibly be? It's only five days with these kids. It'll be a good experience for me. And then a couple other people put their hands up. And so before we knew it, we're off to Storybrook, first, second, and third graders for the week. Now, one of the things that I didn't account for was the fact that in high school, kids get dropped off. They're excited to be there. You know, they're worried about being cool. First, second, and third graders, they are just terrified about leaving their parents. Every single one of them is homesick. And so I'm sitting there looking at all these kids going, oh my gosh, this is already a little bit more than I bargained for. But eventually, they all get dropped off. And here are eight little kids, eight first and second graders looking at me in the eye like, okay, what are we doing next? I'm like, oh my word, this is incredible. Like, you guys are really small. Okay. And so I'm looking at these kids. And the first thing that I had to do with them was name games. Like, we had to go get to know each other, kind of set expectations for the weeks, go over the rules, and then we were supposed to introduce that week's topic, which we were going to reinforce throughout the rest of the week. And so I'm trying to find, I mean, little kids, they get distracted so easily. I'm like, where can I go to hopefully, you know, get rid of all these distractions and get these kids' attention? And so there's this little path that leads into the woods, like the middle of the forest. And at the end of this path, there's like this grassy knoll. I mean, it is like a scene out of a movie, a little sunshine coming down. I'm like, this is perfect. And so I get these kids. I'm like, all right, let's sit down in a circle, guys. They're all, you know, kind of timid still. They're all sitting down. And I am not like 20 seconds into talking. And all of a sudden the kid goes, ow! And I'm like, what the heck is going on? And then before I know it, another kid, ow, ow! 
ow, ow. And all of these kids are screaming, and I'm going, what is happening right now? I know that this is going to sound like a lie. I promise it's a true story. I sat them on one of those freaking underground beehives. They're all getting stung. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And what does a first and a second grader do when they start getting stung by bees? They don't run away like any of us would do. They sit there, and they're just in panic mode. They shut down. I felt like I was in Vietnam. I'm going back and grabbing these kids, sprinting them down the trail, dropping them off, going back. We spent the rest of the day in, in the infirmary making sure that none of these kids were allergic to bees, which, thank God, none of them weren't. So now I have this daunting task of the rest of the week telling these kids, come on, follow Mr. Shea. And they're like, are you high? The last time that we followed you, you got us all stung. When you follow, it does not mean that everything will be perfect from that point forward. There will be times where you feel that you have been stung. And so you might be sitting here today wondering, okay, if following Jesus isn't necessarily about getting into heaven, if following Jesus doesn't mean that I'm somehow going to immediately become a better person, if following Jesus doesn't mean that, that I'm going to have this totally free living with no pain and, and no worry and no stress, then what the heck is the point? What is the payoff? Now, rather than just blurting this out to you and walking off the stage, I, I want to show you a, a passage of scripture where Jesus talks about, hey, this is what the reward is. This is what the payoff. Even you, as you sit here today, as you're debating whether or not to follow Jesus, you're going to be told right now, like, hey, th this is where this is leading. This is the reward. This is the payoff. Now, I also want you to keep in mind, this isn't some, like, one-time occurrence where Jesus brings this up. In fact, he goes back to this time and time again. And again, do not take my word for it. Read this stuff for yourself. Start reading in Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, these accounts that we have of Jesus' time on earth. Read this stuff for yourself. And he tells us very clearly, hey, this is where this stuff is all leading. And in this particular passage, it's so beautifully illustrated. Now, last thing here before we jump into it, I want you to keep in mind that we are simply listening in on a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. It's like we're eavesdropping in on a conversation that they're having. And also, keep this in mind, chances are that what Jesus is talking about here is not going to happen to us. So don't let this kind of freak you out. That'll make more sense here in just a second. But it starts here. And again, remember, this is Jesus talking. He says, I am sending you out, talking to his disciples, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Now, again, you just picture all the disciples sitting in a circle, and they're listening to the Jesus, and they're going, that's kind of weird. Right? You picture Matthew writing this stuff down. He's documenting this for us. Sheep among wolves? We're the sheep? That, that can't be good. I know what a sheep looks like. I know what a wolf looks like. The wolf wins that battle 100% of the time. All right, and he continues. He says, be on your guard. From what? You will be handed over to the local councils and you will be flogged in the synagogues. At this point, don't you think Matthew probably stops writing and he goes, okay, where is this coming from? We're going to be flogged? Now, flogged was like this, this process where you were going to be tortured with whips. I mean, really, really painful thing. And he's going, we're going to be flogged in the synagogues. We, we need to be on our guard. Now, keep in mind, Jesus is actually peering into their future. And in fact, these things that he's going to be talking about right here, we know that they actually end up coming true because we have this documented in the book of Acts. But at this point in their ministry, Jesus and his disciples are incredibly popular. Everywhere they go, people want to be near them. I mean, they have like a 100% approval rating at this point in their ministry. Everywhere they go, these big crowds gather, people drop what they're doing. It would be like Bieber walking into a middle school gym full of girls, right? I mean, it would just be like, boom, like, clear the way. They wanted to get to Jesus. He was so, so popular. And so they're listening to Jesus say this, and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. where in the heck is this coming from? He says, on my account, 
You'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, not if, but when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. And again, they're going, not, not if. Like, Jesus, we feel like you're saying this, like this is a foregone conclusion. Like we are definitely going to get arrested. And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah. But don't worry about what to say or how to say it. No problem. We don't care about that at all. In fact, Jesus, we are far more worried about the fact that you just told us that we are going to be arrested. It says, at that time, you will be given what to say. And this is supposed to comfort them. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you, to which they would have all looked back at Jesus and went, who cares? Jesus, where is this coming from? We really wish that somebody would have told us about all of this. This really feels like it's kind of coming out of left field. And if God is going to be so involved in this whole process that he's going to give us what to say and how to say it, how about he just keeps us from getting arrested in the first place? How about we just don't get flogged? He says, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. <laughs> and then he drops this bomb. He says, you will be hated by everyone because of me. And again, they have to be sitting there going, what? I mean, what is this? Jesus, everybody loves us. I mean, we didn't always think it was going to be perfectly smooth sailing, but this is a far cry from where we're at right now. How are things going to turn so quickly? Jesus, you don't seem like a guy that exaggerates, but are you sure that you're not exaggerating? I mean, literally everyone is going to hate us. And he goes on and on and on. And again, read this stuff for yourself. And he, he continues to paint this pretty grim picture. And then he brings the disciples to this pretty strange place, a, a place that, by the way, he wants to bring all of us to this point of tension. And then almost comically, he says, do not be afraid. And they're going, what? You just told us that we're going to be flogged. Yeah. You, you, you just told us that we are going to be arrested, right? Jesus, you just painted this picture that literally everyone is going to hate us. Exactly. And in the middle of all that, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And right here, Jesus introduces the, this point that he will continue to emphasize over and over and over and over again. And the really great news for me and for you is that Jesus' disciples, the guys that, that spent virtually every waking moment with him, they did not get this until the very end. It wasn't like Jesus said, hey, don't be afraid. And they're like, oh, got it, never mind. I mean, we wish you'd have led with that, but yeah, we won't be afraid now. It wasn't like there was just this light bulb that suddenly clicked in their head. It was a process. This whole idea of being able to find yourself in, in really tough, difficult, stressful, worry-filled situations, and yet you don't allow fear to consume you. In fact, you don't get scared or worried at all. 
And then Jesus goes on to say this, which at the time probably would have been incredibly confusing. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And they're like, what, what does that have to do with anything? He says, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Jesus is pointing out to them, he's like, hey, what's the most worthless thing that you can think of? Now, we would probably have different things, but back then, like literally the most worthless thing that they could think of was sparrows, these little birds. I mean, they were sold for, for pennies in the marketplace. And he goes, yeah, yeah, even as worthless as sparrows are, even as invaluable as they are, I'm telling you, God notices sparrows. He knows about these little birds. In fact, he has every hair on your head numbered. So if God cares so much about these little sparrows that are basically worthless, don't you think that he has you covered? And here's where he brings his followers to a point where our faith is so strong where we are so secure in our Father's love that even in the midst of being flogged and arrested and betrayed by our loved ones, even in the middle of those situations where you're going, where in the heck are you, God? Where it seems like God maybe has even forgotten us, we hear that small, still voice, do not be afraid because I am with you. The God that can control the soul despite what someone might do to your body. See, Jesus' message was never, uh, don't be afraid because I won't let bad things happen, right? That's magic. Jesus' message has always been, don't be afraid when bad things happen. And as anyone who would tell you who's a Jesus follower for longer than 10 minutes, bad things are going to happen when you follow Jesus. We're not exempt from this stuff. But this is true confidence in the Lord. It's a confidence that is so sure of God's protection and love. It, it is a faith that overwhelms fear. It is a faith that drowns out fear. I'm going to brag on uh, John, our music director here, a little bit. And he didn't know I was going to do this. I'm sorry, John. Um, when we, you know, my wife and I were feeling this nudge to start this church, one of the things that I wanted to make sure that I got right uh, and that we got right as a church was, was music. I was like, I, I want us, our music to, to be done well and I want it to be excellent. And so I went on this search and I was interviewing people, like three or four people a week from all over the country and it was leading nowhere. Nobody seemed like a good fit. And then out of nowhere, somebody mentions John's name uh, and John was already planning on like being a part of like the team and helping this thing get off the ground. Uh, but somebody's like, do you know that John's actually a pretty talented musician? I was like, nope. I just thought he could like play Wonderwall or something. Like I didn't know that he could actually like had some skills. And so we started this conversation and I had quite the sales pitch. I said, hey, I want you to walk away from this really great career that you've started that's paying you pretty well for your first job out of college. And I want you to help start a church and I want you to quit that job. I want to pay you way less and it's a church plant. So most of them don't make it past the first year and a half. Sound good? And he's like, no, that sounds terrible. But I challenge to pray about it. I said, will you just pray about this whole thing? Like, just, you know, consider this. And it wasn't an overnight process, but eventually he looked me in the eye and he's like, I'm in. And just a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were spending some time together and we were kind of like reflecting on what's happened already in these short couple months. And he just bought a house up here in Grand Blanc. Him and his soon-to-be wife uh, are getting married here in about a month. And uh, they'll, they'll move up here. And after buying the house, it was almost like this light bulb clicked on in his head. And he's like, I'm kind of like all in for this, aren't I? And I looked at him and I was like, yeah, me too. 
And it was this strange moment where it was kind of like, gosh, this is scary. Are we idiots? What are we doing? But yet, it was like we're looking at each other just smiling because we're like, gosh, God has this thing so under control. And that's where Jesus wants to bring his followers, where we have a a true confidence in the Lord. We, We have this faith that overwhelms and conquers and drowns out fear. He wants you to, to take you to a place where you wake up every day and you say, what would I do today if I was 100% confident that God is with me? What would I do today if I knew would be on the shadow of a doubt that God was by my side, that God is with me? What, what, what decision would I make in light of what's going on at work? What decision would I make after having another not-so-fun conversation with an ex? What decision would I make in light of that doctor's appointment? What decision would I make in light of what's going on at school? What decision would I make if I was 100% confident that God was with me? The God that can protect the soul despite what someone might do to my body. And Jesus says, I want you to follow me. Because that is precisely where I want to take you. That is the reward. That's the payoff for truly following. It's a very special place that even in the midst of tough, stressful, strenuous situations, situations that, by the way, used to terrify you, we are afraid of what somebody might do to you, what somebody might think of you. You're truly fearless. It says in Romans 8, that, that, that apart from God, we are as sheep to be slaughtered. Beautiful imagery, right? But with him, we are more than conquerors. God desires, whether you believe this or not, that you would be fearless. He wants us to have that overwhelming faith. And listen, I get that some of you are sitting here today going, that, that's just not possible. You, you can't actually live like that. And Jesus is saying, come on. Come on. Just, just follow me. And I bet that I prove you wrong. Now, one day, Jesus is with his disciples, and he decides to put this whole thing to the test. He, he's been spending a good chunk of time with them, and he's like, all right, let's, let's see how fearless these guys are actually. You know, let's see if they've actually been paying attention to stuff that I've been telling them. And they jump in a boat, and they decide they're going to travel to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is a big, big body of water. It's not quite as big as a Great Lake, but it's a big body of water nonetheless. And pretty early on in that journey to the other side of the lake, Jesus' disciples in this boat, this storm comes out of nowhere. And it's a big storm. And and it's not like these guys have never been on boats before. I mean, half of them are fishermen. That's what they did for a living. And so it's a big storm. And it's so big, in fact, that they think they're going to die. I mean, they are freaking out. In fact, the language that's used in scripture is perish. They're going, we are going to perish. We are going to die out here. This storm is going to kill us. Now, somehow, in the middle of all this, Jesus is taking a little siesta. He's taking a nap. And so they are freaking out. They're going, where is Jesus anyway? He's taking a nap. He's taking a nap. Are you serious? And so they run up to Jesus and they wake him up. And they ask Jesus this question, which is, by the way, it's a question that we have all asked. Even those of you that aren't even sure about this whole God thing, you're not even sure about this whole Christianity thing, we've all asked this question at some time in one form or another. We've all asked, don't you care? Jesus, don't you care? You see what's going on here? Don't you care? And Jesus springs up and he's shh. He's not shushing the disciples. He's shushing the weather (laughs) and the waves. Calm. It stops blowing and the sea is just flat. And the disciples are going, holy crap. What can't this guy do? The weather 
just listen to him. And he says to him, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, if you're a disciple sitting here and, and Jesus asks you, why are you so afraid? You got water all over you. You got salt in your mouth. You're freaking out. You're going, Jesus, what kind of a stupid question is that? Why are we so afraid? Why do you think we're afraid? Did you not just see what was going on? We thought we were going to die out here. We thought that we were going to drown. Why are we afraid? And by the way, how in the heck are you sleeping in the middle of all this? But this is where Jesus takes his followers over and over and over again. He goes, I know that you thought that you were going to go overboard. I know that you thought that you were going to drown out here. But why are you so afraid? Do you still not believe, guys? I mean, he's looking at him, he's pleading with him. Do you still not believe that your heavenly father cares more about you than sparrows? Do, do, do you still not believe that he has every hair on your head numbered? Why are you so afraid? And he came back to this over and over and over again. And again, don't take my word for it. Read this stuff for yourself. But Why? I mean, why make this the payoff? He could have made the payoff and the reward, the end goal. Like, I mean, he, he could have made it a lot of different things. And as I kind of wrestled through this, think one, doesn't it honor God? I mean, overwhelming faith, it honors God, right? It truly puts our, our faith in action. It shows that we truly trust God. Despite those difficult times, we don't run and hide. We stand firm in our faith. That honors God. Like if I was to walk into our office tomorrow and Taylor, uh, our, our kids director, she sits on the wall on the other side of me and, you know, let's paint this picture. Like I, I, I didn't know, she didn't know that I was there. I got in there early, the door was closed and she was sitting over there and she was on speakerphone and, and one of you had called her and like, I cannot believe that Shay did this. I saw him do this yesterday and it really ticked me off. But in the, and I'm like ready to, you know, bust through the wall and tell her, that's not the whole story. But I, but I, I stop and I just kind of, let's let her deal with this. And I hear Taylor say to that person, hey, that, that, that can't be right. I know Shay. I mean, that can't possibly be the entire story. I'm telling you, there's no way that he would do that. Wouldn't I sit there in that moment and just be like, yeah. Right, like, I mean, that, that would make me feel so good that, that, that somebody was being that loyal to me, somebody was being that good to me. Overwhelming faith, it honors God, but even more than that, this type of faith, it frees us to love. To love an ex that only seems to want to make your life miserable. To love that coworker that constantly irritates you. To love that kid at school that everybody else rejects. And again, I know what some of you are thinking. That isn't reality. That is like this idealistic Christian pastor world that you have dreamt up in your head. John, one of the disciples, one of the guys that spent a ton of time with Jesus, he puts it like this. He says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. See, fear and love, they're incompatible. And, and Jesus is saying, I, I want to take you to a place where your faith in God is tied in with the fact that you are going to honor and fear the one that can control your soul rather than what someone might do to your body. And in turn, your love for him will create parameters that you didn't know existed. And we all know people like this, don't we? We're in the middle of these terrible times, these really tough situations they say things and we're like, gosh, that is so churchy. They say things like, I just trust God. 
God's got it. I know that, that, that God is in control. And we look at him, and we're almost like jealous, but we're looking at him going, you're in denial. Is this like a, like a, like a coping mechanism or something? Like you need to face up to the music. But, but as you get to know these people better, you find out that it's actually genuine. And as it turns out, you want to be a little bit more like that. And Jesus says, follow me, because I can get you there. He tells us that it is possible, that you can live fearless, that there is a faith that is that big. There's a faith that drowns out and it overwhelms fear, that overcomes any fears that seep into your head, fears of being accepted, fears of what people might think of you, fears of what's going on with your kids, fears of where this country is headed, fears about your health. And remember, this isn't an overnight process. It's okay for you to think, I'm not there yet. After all, the disciples, the guys that spent time with Jesus in the flesh, they did not get it till the very end. But that's why Jesus invites you to follow. Because as you follow, your faith grows. And as your faith grows, your confidence in God grows. And your faith begins to overwhelm parts of your life that you did not think could be overtaken. He tells us, do not be afraid because I, the God that can control the soul, I am with you. So come on, follow me.